Lots of nonprofit leaders turn to me for advice and support, and I always try to do my best to rise to the occasion. I actually feel quite compelled to help. Mr. Rogers, my fashion hero, and I believe the most influential educator of kids in my lifetime, quoted his mom once, and my cousin Jean brought this to my attention. He said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mom would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. And so every day I look for the helpers. Sometimes they seek me out. And I do my very best to help them. All kinds of helpers. Big, small organizations, board chairs, executive directors, across all sectors and ideological spectra. Anyone trying to do their part to change the world in ways large and small. But you know what? I bet they do not realize how much they're helping me. They inspire, educate, and uplift me. Many of them do the same for all those scared kids Mr. Rogers spoke about. Did you know there are 1.5 million nonprofits and two-thirds of them have budgets under $500,000? I found this intriguing, and over the past year, I have spent quite a lot of time with folks who run small but mighty organizations. In fact, I created a resource for them called the Nonprofit Leadership Lab. It's a good one, and I'll talk more about it. But today, I really just want to tell you some stories, stories that will inspire you, because in this broken and broken-hearted world, I believe these stories will give you hope. Today, I'm going to share what I've learned from them, and these board and staff leaders are committed, passionate to a cause, a community. They are voices for the voiceless. But lastly, remember, they're not just leaders, they're teachers, and I won't bury the lead. Every single day, people who run small nonprofits teach us, all of us, that you can do hard things. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. The title of this podcast comes courtesy of Emily Clem, the executive director of South Suburban Humane Society. She had to do some pretty hard things, and you can hear about them in a recent podcast I did with her. I started to think about what those hard things were, and I came up with a list of four. Today, I want to tell stories about individuals, board and staff leaders of small nonprofits who have done hard things. These are the stories of superheroes. And as you listen to them, think about what they have in common, because we're going to come back to the moral of that at the end. Here's number one. You can actually find people to help you. The number one thing a nonprofit leader feels is overwhelmed and alone. Too many things to do, not knowing how to prioritize, pressure from your clients or community, pressure from your board, or you feel like you don't even know what, to, what you don't know. Or the way I felt as a first-time nonprofit executive director myself. You just keep waiting for someone to pull the curtain back and realize that you're just some schmo from Kansas and not the Wizard of Oz. The technical term, imposter syndrome. Fatuma Adan is the executive director of Horn of Africa Development Initiative, or Hodi Africa for short. She empowers young girls through soccer. Simple. 
A journey of 14 years led her to seek out support. She was ready to give up. She had a really tough year financially. How tough, you ask? So tough, donors were asking for equipment back. That was a couple of years ago. Fast forward to this month. Fatima was just named one of Kenya's most outstanding leaders and was invited to speak at the UN this month. Wait, how did that happen? Because Fatima sought out support. These jobs are hard, especially for leaders of the small and mighty. There are lots of ways to connect and share best practices with your fellow nonprofit leaders, but it never feels like there's enough time because you're too busy feeling overwhelmed and alone. I belonged to an ED group in New York City when I was an ED, and it was a lifeline, especially on really hard days. Fatima understood the importance of being a part of a village of kindred spirits. Yes, she sought out help through the nonprofit leadership lab, and she said sometimes the going is too tough and you just feel like hanging up your boots, and you just have to dust yourself up, dust yourself off, and get going. Fatima found the support she needed among colleagues, most of whom are halfway around the world. Make no mistake, this story is really about Fatima, her own perseverance, and her understanding that if you find a village of support and advice, you can actually own your power as a leader and actually do hard things. So number one is you can actually find people to help you. Here's number two. You can actually build a great board, and it will take less time than you think. I saw you roll your eyes. Stay with me, please. After I feel overwhelmed and alone, the comment I hear most often is this one. I will never have a great board. And you won't be surprised to hear that I hear that as much from board leaders as executive directors. Imagine volunteering your time to run the board, and instead of high-powered, enthusiastic ambassadors, you look at the table and you feel like you're looking at a bunch of cabbage heads. I don't know where I got the cabbage head thing. Cheryl Schreier is an RN by training with over 30 years of business experience in healthcare and real estate. She now owns her own construction firm. Cheryl was tired of disengaged board members, and so she decided to step up. She became the chair of the governance committee of the board of the Bucks County Opportunity Council, an organization that fights poverty in her Pennsylvania county. After several months of steady push and pull, and then holding an awesome retreat that reset the direction, Cheryl had a member select themselves off the board bus, opening up a real opportunity to create the future that is just a little less messy. She literally changed where and how people sat in meetings, the number of committees, and the structure, and she feels that she has brought the voice back to the full board. What I love about this story is the word months, not decades, not years, months. What I also love about this story is that it can actually be done. I see it all the time. I work hands-on with clients to do it quite regularly. What I call it is tipping your board. Cheryl was able to figure out points of leverage to shift the dynamics of her board so that the folks began to step up. Sometimes it's as simple as asking a lot of questions. Do you have committees? If not, you need them. You need them for a leadership pipeline. If I'm sitting on one of your board committees, do I understand the charge of the committee? What does success look like? How do you get held accountable? Start asking the questions. People on boards want to be successful. Help define that for them, and they will deliver. For those of you who think this can't be done, I toss out one more comment from another nonprofit leader. Most folks don't expect to hear from board members after board meetings at all. 
<laughs> they just don't expect to. I have a joke that board members' favorite insect is the cricket because that's what board and staff leaders hear most often from their board members after meetings. Shannon Lee, who runs a small but mighty nonprofit, did hear something after a board meeting. She said that after implementing new ideas, she overheard a board member say this was the best board meeting ever. Could you imagine hearing the words best and board meeting in the same sentence? It can happen. Shannon and Cheryl will tell you so. So too will Portia Portugal. She runs Dress for Success in Wichita, Kansas. Her story is mighty simple. One little thing made a big difference. She asked her board chair to meet with her weekly and had a standing agenda that they now use. Together they moved at their board meetings from monthly to every other month. A key change because it allows committees to meet in the off months. Portia Portugal is doing hard things and in so doing, she is feeling like this is a job she can actually do. She no longer feels like that schmo from Kansas and is inching her way towards wizardry. All right, so we have, you can actually build a great board. Here's number three. You can actually raise money. Many leaders of no small nonprofits feel they just don't have what it takes. But I'm gonna argue they're often focusing on the wrong things. They think it takes board members who are wealthy or who have rich friends. They think they need to have an in with a foundation or they're frantic that they're not measuring their results well enough for someone to invest. These things would indeed be very nice, but with small nonprofits, it's hard and they are not the absolute essentials. For me, there are three essentials. One, a core group of diverse individuals who understand their role as ambassadors, board, staff, volunteers. And each of these folks should have a unique and different sphere of influence from the others so that you get, begin to build a larger pond of people who know about your organization. Number two, board and staff leaders need to work together to ignite the passion of your ambassadors so that they feel compelled to run out of a board meeting and invite people to know more and do more for your organization. And number three is you need a clear and compelling story about what you do, why it's important, and why it's important to you. These are not hard things. You can actually do these things, and if you do them, you will raise money. Kristen Ann Mantlow runs an organization in Norfolk, Virginia called Smile Easier. Her work is about providing kids who are impacted by life-threatening conditions with assistive and adaptive devices and technologies that will make their lives a little easier. Listen to that. That mission statement kind of gets you at all low, doesn't it? Her budget size this year, about $100,000. More on that in a minute. Kristen has invested in building a strong financial infrastructure, and she found someone who will create a financial plan to strengthen her pitch to foundations. She was not a numbers person. She knew she just had a snap out of it. But wait, there's more. She is engaging her board in a new way, and they feel like partners. Remember the $100,000 budget? La two years ago, that number was 38000 What a wacky percentage increase, right? Last year, 
by May 31st, she had already raised 50 grand. She had secured every grant she applied for and had three more in the hopper. These stories are true, by the way. What did Kristen do? She did her homework. She was bold, she took risks. She had a compelling story to tell and brought her board in as partners. She moved her board from a place where they thought a $100,000 budget was pure, unadulterated fantasy. It wasn't. They hit that number. And all the board members agreed to fill out a fundraising plan for the coming year. It can happen. Kristen can do hard things, and so can you. So we're talking today about the challenges small but mighty nonprofits face and the stories of the superheroes who have overcome those hard things by believing, by understanding that they need support and resources. Speaking of which, I have something coming up beginning this week. It is called How to Build a Thriving Nonprofit. It is a free video workshop. You can join it right now by going to thrivingnonprofit.org. The videos will begin on April 17th for you to watch at your leisure. Sign up. You will get emails that will tell you about when each video is available. And I will tell you these videos will be of great value. Kim Friedman runs New Garden Friends School in Greensboro, North Carolina, and she went through the workshop with her board chair. It was transformative for them in building that partnership I call the co-pilot relationship in the twin engine jet and has set that board on a brand new path. Watch it with your staff, with your teammates, with your colleagues, with your board. It provides you with some very, very good grounding about what it takes, the attributes of a thriving nonprofit, and allows you to assess where you are at. It's helped a lot of people, and I want you to have the same exact opportunity. So let's get back to our stories, and we're talking about doing hard things. Our first thing was you can actually find people to help you. Then we talked about you can actually build a board. Then you can actually raise money. And number four, I said there were four things, so here's the last one. Leaders tell me all the time, that they need more people to know about their organization. So number four, you can actually build an audience. It's frustrating. You do these great things and it feels like nobody knows about them. People will say, I, I, I have no list of small donors. Or some people will say, you know, pigs will have wings before I'll be able to afford a communications staff member. And by the way, that's overhead. And then they'll say, how do I get an article in the local newspaper? Well. Those are nice, but it, it all starts with your village, board, staff, volunteers. You have to talk about your organization at every single opportunity, and you have to be ready and practiced to tell a great story. Your story or elevator pitch is key. Daryl Messinger does not exactly fit in with the rest of the superheroes in this podcast. She is indeed a a superhero, but her organization is quite large. She's the board chair for the Union for Reform Judaism. But her story is really important. She's a, literally a woman with a mission. 
She's determined to give her board members what they need to be great storytellers. So at every single board meeting, she allocates time for storytelling practice. Role-playing conversations with different organizational stakeholders. So you get not only the opportunity to tell your story, but to tailor it to a particular stakeholder, a new prospect, uh, someone who runs a synagogue, whatever the stakeholder might be. I designed and facilitated a retreat for the URJ in January. We did that workshop, and board members literally said, this is getting so much easier. You've probably heard that old vaudeville line, like, how do you get to Broadway? The punchline is like, practice, kid, practice. That's what it takes. Daryl is making an investment, and it's working. She's doing hard things. Tim Walbridge fights homelessness among the older and disabled adult population in Indianapolis with his organization called Lazarus Living. He's invested time and energy in learning about social media, that a website is not a storefront, that you have to engage folks in your content. You have to tell compelling stories. He's learning. Engagement on his sites, in his social media platforms, has increased 300% as a result of the investment he has made to understand how social media can help you to build an audience. He has totally revamped his approach to social media with a simple meme. Small things can make a big difference. Feels like a nice segue. Small organizations can make a very big difference. So at the top of this podcast, I said, please think about these stories and what these people have in common. So it's time for a quiz. What do they all have in common? You've been listening. I think there are six things Five of them you should be able to figure out, and I'll take number six. Number one, each of these people believe they can affect change not just in the world, but within their organization. Number two, they are deeply, passionately committed to getting it right. Whatever it might be, Hiring the right person, building a great board, getting the story right, writing a kick-ass grant proposal. <clears throat> they won't accept anything less because so much is riding on their success. Number three is they know what they do not know. Their egos are in check, and they have sought out advice, guidance, and support. Number four, they understand that the antidote for feeling overwhelmed and alone is building a village. And number five, they have learned they can actually do hard things, and they can do those things in less time than they ever imagined. You'll have what they're having, right? So I offer you number six. Everyone I mentioned, every story I told, comes from a member of our nonprofit leadership lab opening up for registration this month. We only open registration two times each year. We want to focus on our members and not on marketing. Every one of these people has learned something 
from their colleagues, from their content, from the experts that have shored them up, that have made them believe they can actually do hard things. And by virtue of that, they have actually done them. A strong financial plan that Kristen built was based on a piece of content we did with an expert. We brought her in to say, help people get comfortable with numbers. Getting people to engage in fundraising requires understanding that everyone has different asking styles. And so you'll find an expert in the lab who's spoken about that. I've done a couple of really, um, I think, valuable courses. Build the board of your dreams. How to give a great elevator pitch. And that weekly meeting that the board chair and the ED with the standing agenda item, she probably found that template in the content at the village. The list goes on. And then we've got community, a village of kindred spirits from all around the world and across every sector, from men and women who have started organizations to honor loved ones they've lost, leaders who work from their kitchen tables and don't take salaries, founders whose drive and commitment really border on something akin to a calling. There's a wide variety of scenarios and stories among these members, but a common thread. They are remarkably passionate, supportive, generous, and oh yeah, a very funny bunch. The funny thing might actually be the secret sauce. It makes a tough day just a little lighter. When you ask a question in the village, you'll get expert advice from me and my team, and some of the best advice, she says candidly, may in fact come from your fellow villagers. And I do live Q&As a few times a month where you can hit me up with any questions you have. The Nonprofit Leadership Lab is a pretty special place. It inspires me every day when I spend time there. It's a membership site with content and community that offers you the skills and support created specially for helpers the small leaders of small but mighty nonprofits. You'll find advice, community, a shot in the arm, and an occasional kick in the pants. You can learn more about it during the upcoming workshop I mentioned, How to Build a Thriving Nonprofit, where you can register for that at thrivingnonprofit.org, or you can join the waitlist at nonprofitleadershiplab.com. If you found the stories today inspiring, or you see yourself or someone you know in one of them, Come join us. Join Cheryl, Tim, Fatima, Daryl, Kristen, Portia. Join them in the Nonprofit Leadership Lab. I know them and all the villagers. They will be delighted to welcome you. And just know this, you have as much to offer them as they have to give. That's how we roll in the Nonprofit Leadership Lab. Emily Clem said it best. You can do hard things. And all of us at the Nonprofit Leadership Lab are here to provide you with the advice and support and guidance you need so that you can actually do hard things. Thanks for joining me. Hope you'll spread the word about the workshop starting today and the lab. And as always, I can't thank you enough for being helpers. Nonprofits Are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com. <laughs>